It's good to be with you this morning. Today is all kinds of wonderful things. It's Palm Sunday, the day that we celebrate and remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphant entry, although it wasn't all that triumphant. He rode in on a donkey to people waving branches. There were there was no uh, trumpets, there were, there were no white stallions, there were no brigades of soldiers around him. Just the, the common people, the poor and the outcast, celebrating the one they hoped would bring them freedom, and then he tricked them. Probably half the parade missed it. Because when you come into Jerusalem on the road he entered, it then takes a fork and one way goes to the palace and one way goes to the temple. And there were no doubt people who expected him to go right to the palace and be the kind of king that overthrows earthly powers. But he doesn't. Instead, he goes to the temple. He goes to the temple because he recognizes the only way to change the world is to change individuals. The only way to bring peace into the world is when individuals find peace Within, after Easter, we'll begin a series called The Way of the Warrior that will take us from Mother's Day to Father's Day, and, uh, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that. We are celebrating today baptism. We're celebrating this mark of belonging to the family of God. We are, we are celebrating the dedication of infants as parents say, we're going to do everything we can to raise this child to know and discover Jesus and to walk with him every day of their lives. We are in the midst of a series called Inked, partly just because I like to talk about things that others ignore in church. And um, tattoos are one of those things that we just don't talk about very often because so many people don't know what they think or don't have opinions about whether or not Christians should have tattoos or not. Clearly, I have opinions that don't always fit with others, but um, we, uh, we're looking at not just the tattoos that we have, right? Because we, we will see more and more, as we already have, that people are marking their skin with the stories that have transformed their hearts, the things that have, have shaped their lives, the things that they are passionate about and care about, the moments that they never want to forget, the things that say to others who they are, get marked on the skin. It's a way of of expressing what matters to us. But we began this series talking first about the tattoos of Jesus. From Isaiah 49, 16, the tattoos of God, that God has your name engraved on His hand. Engraved, inked, marked on His hand. You only put the names of those you love most and to whom you will be committed All of your life because you don't want to have to scratch it out or get it removed. I have my wife and my children's names on my arm. They're the people that I will do anything for. They are mine. And this is his way of saying that you are his. Your name engraved on his hands. And then we began looking at Isaiah chapter 43. In Isaiah chapter 43, 1 through 7, we actually find the four marks, these four Uh, tattoos that have been indelibly printed on our souls from the time we were born. They are marks that God has placed on us that tell us who we are more than anything we could ever put on our skin. 
They remind us of who we are. And we will do all kinds of things in life to cover up those tattoos, to forget about them, to try to ignore them. But they always bleed through and call us back. We looked at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, and in that we read, we read that that He is the God who created us, who formed us. He is the one who says, you are mine. You are mine. I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name. And we said that that first tattoo that is marked on our souls is that you are mine. That He claims us by having created us, by forming us, by redeeming us, and then inviting us into His family. An invitation that we each have the choice to accept or reject. And as we continue to unpack that, we see that in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Feel free to, to open your Bibles there. He tells us, he tells us, and I'm just going to paraphrase partly because for whatever reason, the Bible app won't open. Um, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, he says, you will walk through the flood, but you will not be overwhelmed. You will walk through the fire, but you will not be consumed because I will be with you. One of my favorite tattoos is, uh, is the reference Joshua 1.9. And he and I both have the same mark. It's a mark. It's a verse for our family, really. It's a, it, we both got it tattooed at the same time. At the, as we neared the end, we didn't know we were nearing the end, but as we neared the end of one of the darkest seasons of our lives. 18 months. And in 18 months, We watched two jobs go away. We watched a house go away. We found ourselves without work in in, in her parents' basement, struggling and wondering. Tried everything I could to leave ministry, to leave doing this. Tried to work at Starbucks. tried Tried to work at Target. They all told me no. I'm not sure why, but they all told me no. I'm sure there were some good reasons. There was a time... Years later, about a year into this story of Hydrant, that I sent an application uh, to a school that was opening up for a business management type job, and they never got my application because of some weird stuff in the computers in the company, the contractor they used to set up the application process. Never even got out. God had a way of keeping me where he wanted me all along the way. But as we came to the end of the season, we got this verse, Joshua 1.9, tattooed, because it says that to be strong and to be courageous because I will be with you wherever you go. And because of that, you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to be discouraged. I will be with you wherever you go. And that second mark that we find described in Isaiah chapter 43 is this. I will be with you. I will be with you. It's in his very name, Yahweh. He said, He says to to Moses, I am, I am, 
I am. I, he, he is declaring that he is present, that he is the God who is, will be, forever is, and is in every place at all times. He is declaring in his very name to Moses, I will be with you. When you take on this challenge that you don't think you can take on, I will be with you. It gets scary, I will be with you. When the, when the sea separates and you walk through it, I will be with you. I will be with you wherever you go, and the flood won't consume you, and the fire won't envelop you. I will be with you. But as we look into this, there are a couple of things that become true that we need to see and understand. The first is that you will go through trials. Because he says, when you go through the flood and when you go through the fire... I will be with you. Not if, or if you happen to, or maybe you'll do this, and, and if you do, no, I'll be with you. He says when. When you go through the flood. When you go through the fire. When the trials come. There are so many times that, that things get difficult in life, and we say, why God? And he says, because you're alive. That's about a good enough reason. That's about the reason there is. You're alive, so you have trials. It's a good sign. It means you're still breathing. If only dead people have no more problems. So when we enter into the trials, we need to recognize that it is not a sign of God having abandoned us, forgotten us, or even of us having done anything we weren't supposed to or that is wrong. Instead, it's a sign that we're breathing. It's a sign that we're alive. It's something we will all deal with. And we all deal with it most of the time. And it's kind of like when, uh, when, when married couples come to me and they say, we're having trouble in our marriage. That's about right. That's the kind of trouble that married people have. You know, or, or teenagers, I'm having trouble at school. That's about right. That's the trouble that kids your age have. Life is trouble. Life is trial. Life is struggle. The question is, will we anticipate it and embrace it as a part of what shapes us? Recognizing that, that it has value. In James chapter 1, verses 24, the brother of Jesus writes that we should celebrate in trial. We should be thankful in trial because we know that they will produce in us a perseverance, a strength that comes no other way. Right? If you want to get stronger, you put your muscles through trial. You lift weight. You run. And it hurts. And it's miserable. And if you really want you run two Spartan races in two weekends in a row, come into church bruised and bleeding. But you will be stronger on the other side of it. Yeah. You hit that gym every day and you're sore because you put your muscles through trial. You're being developed and strengthened day by day is only done so in the trials. It provides us the opportunity to grow. It is in many ways a gift to us. Something we try to avoid at all costs and will run away from. Beg God to keep from us. God, keep us from the trials. And we wonder why we stay weak. Why our faith stays weak. <laughs> why our prayers are weak. 
why we don't see miracles in life. God, I want to see a miracle. Keep me out of trouble. When you're in trouble is when you need the miracle. It's when you're going to see it. We need to be more like Joshua. Not Josh. Yes, we need to be more like Joshua. But I'm thinking Jonathan right now. We need to be more like Jonathan, the son of King Saul. Because that they had no weapons as an army. And the enemy had the higher ground and was over them. And he decided with his armor bearer, look, I want to do something crazy. Let's, let's climb up the cliff to where our enemy is. And when we get to the edge of the cliff, let's yell out to him. And if they say this, then run like crazy. But if they say this, we'll know God gave them to us. And we can climb over that cliff, and I know there's only two of us, and I know there's only one sword, but let's do it. And so they do. And here's what he says. Who can stop us if the Lord is with us? He didn't know if it was going to succeed or not, but went into the trial, went in with faith and hope and optimism. And we can walk into these things that we face with hope and optimism or fear and hiding. But when we recognize that they are for our good and will bring something good out of us, even though they will be hard, we can walk into them and embrace them as good for us. And we can only do that when we realize the second thing. He will be with you. He will be with you. It's in his very name. It's in his name, Yahweh. It's in his name, Jesus, as Emmanuel, the one that he has given us. He says, I will be with you. I am God with you. Wherever you go and through every trial, through every fire, through every flood, I will be with you. And my, my presence in your life is not limited to the good parts, right? I, I walked this walk. I walked this life. I lived homeless and beaten and broken and written off and marginalized and then was hung on a cross to felt abandoned by God himself and turned into that abandonment and found God. Sometimes when we're running away from the darkness and running away from the difficulty and running away from the problem, the reason we're not seeing God is because he's waiting for us in the midst of them. We only really can truly find him when we're willing to turn into that darkness, turn into that pain, and discover what's really there and what he would bring out of us in it. In the misery, he continues to remind us of the truth. I will be with you. For Joshua and Joshua 1.9, they've been waiting 40 years to enter into the promised land. He says, be strong and courageous. I'm with you wherever you go. You can't get away from me. It's what Abraham discovered when he was first called out by God. We read in Genesis chapter 12 that he journeyed by stages toward the promised land. And the surprising thing for him was at each new stage, God was there. At each new place, God was there. God was with him wherever he goes. The second thing is that the trial, or the third is the trials, the trials will not overwhelm you. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you won't ever get burned. It doesn't say that you won't ever get burned. It doesn't say that you won't ever get hurt. It does not say in Scripture that it will always, that he'll only give you what you can handle. That's not what it says. It says when the fire comes, when the flood comes, it won't overwhelm you. You'll get burned, and you will struggle to keep 
your mouth and your nose above water. You will have to swim with everything you've got. You will, you will find that there will be things in life that burn you to the very core, that hurt you so deeply, you don't know if you can get up. Paul describes it. He describes the suffering and trials that they go through there so that they can learn to depend on God. Because God is the only one who will carry them through. There are more. He, in fact, he says it's more than I can handle, more than I can tolerate, more than I can stand up under. Because it's not our strength that allows us to stand. It's not our strength that allows us to survive. It is the one who says there are limits to the fire, there are limits to the flood, and I'm with you in the midst of it. It's kind of, it's kind of this really interesting thing for me when we look at other stories connected to this. Think about, think about the, the Israelites when they leave. They leave Egypt. Now, this would have been in their history at this point. And they, they leave Egypt, and they have to go through the water. There's a, there's a psalm that says that, that I get into the water up to my neck. And they believe that most likely Moses leading them out had to walk out into the Red Sea up to his neck before the water split. Holding that staff, believing that God would do what he said he was going to do. He kept walking until it split. He didn't let it overwhelm him. And then you have, this is at the beginning of the exile. So later you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. This beautiful story, right? They refused to bow down to the gods of the land. They refused to bow down to the king because they will worship their God only. And what happens? They get thrown into a fiery furnace that is so hot that the people who threw them in died. Right? They got in the fire and then God met them. He didn't, he, he could have knocked down the statue, he could have protected them from the soldiers, he could have sent angels down, he could have stopped this any way he wanted, but instead he lets them go all the way to the point of being thrown into the fire and then gets in the fire with them. And the fire will not consume you, but I will be with you. The beauty of this story too is that... Um, it is when they were headed into exile. And so the faithlessness of Israel, they were headed into exile for their disobedience, for ignoring the ways of God, for their carelessness in the care for others, their unwillingness to be who they were called and created to be. And in their rejection of God, they're being sent into exile, into trial, into the flood, into the fire to remember who they and so, in spite of their faithfulness, God remains faithful to them. It says, even when you go out into exile, I will go with you there. Even when you go into the flood, even when you go into the fire, even when it's your own fault, I'll go with you there. I mean, most of the problems we face are just the result of our stupid. I mean, if we're honest, we look at it, we made so many choices that led us to this place. We say, well, I... You know, I'm dating this girl. She hurt me. Well, you chose to date her. 
We, we have the power of choice all along the way, and it's often those choices we make that lead to the pain we face. Now, there are things that don't. But either way, we need to know that it's not our faithfulness that determines whether he'll be faithful to us. In fact, when he made the covenant with Abraham, when he made this agreement, the way that they would do it is that they would, they would split an animal in half, cut it in half and lay the two sides out, and then both parts who were making the agreement would walk through it together as a sign that if either one of them broke it, that what happened to that animal should happen to them. That's how serious the covenant was. But in the covenant that God made with Abraham, only God walks through them. Because he knows that we can't hold up our end. And that he will have to constantly invite us back. Constantly be with us. Constantly make the first move. Constantly draw us in. But when we begin to settle in and let these things identify us, determine who we are, we begin to really see, okay, trials will come. There will be fire, there will be flood, there will be things that I can't control that are bigger and greater and more powerful than I am. There will be pain deeper than I can manage on my own. But I will not face any of them alone. He will go with me. That he is the one who sustains me and he will use it all. None of it will be wasted. He will use it all for my good then we recognize that in all of this is the truth that he gives us all that we need in every circumstance. Not usually more than we need, but all that we need. He taught us, in fact, to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I know we like give us this week all the groceries we need. But he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need today. Not just food, but what, what are our souls need? What is the bread of our souls, our hearts, our minds? What do we need today? And sometimes we have on tomorrow or next week or next month or the trial. We don't, even, we don't even come to today. We don't have any view of today. We're surviving today, hoping just to get to tomorrow. And he recogn- we, we recognize that, that when these things come and we can anticipate them, we can embrace them, we can live through them, that he will be with us in them and we can stop and say, God, Give me what I need today. I'll ask again tomorrow, and I might ask halfway through this day again, but give me what I need today. I trust that you're the one who can. You're the only one who can. The second thing that we can trust is that God is doing something special through it, that it's not wasted, that he is shaping us and forming us, not good, but for the good of those that we will come into contact with, for the good of this world that we live in. That all of it is a part of something beautiful. Now, it doesn't mean that he happen. It doesn't mean that he is smiting us for something just so he can do something else. It just means that trials come. They're a part of this life. But he can use them and bring something special out of them. And we don't know what that looks like or how far he will take us into those flames. But man, if I'm Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego, I would rather have the story of going into the fire and walking back out than him knocking down the statue. But we don't see that until way the other side. There's a story being written in your life and nothing is wasted and all of it is valuable. And if you'll let him, he'll write something remarkable in that story. Embrace all of it. Third thing is, trials are a passageway. 
right? It says when you pass through the flood, when you pass through the fire. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? These are not destinations. They're passageways. In one sense, they are passageways to us becoming our best selves, the ones we were created to be. But they're also passageways as in, don't hang out there longer than you have to. Don't prolong it unnecessarily. Learn from it and move through it. If you find yourself in the flood, don't just sit there. Begin to move. When you find yourself in the fire, don't sit down. Keep going. When you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of darkness, don't just wallow in it. We have a tendency in our humanity to recycle the stories of our pain, of our difficulty, of our problem, of what's not going right until it's all that we can see. Like being on the interstate with a, with a tractor-trailer truck in front of you, and you can't see anything around it. All you can see is the back of the truck. And some of us spend so many days and nights staring at the back of the truck of our painful situations, of our hurt, of our wounds, of our disappointments, of our struggles, of our failures. And it's time to pass that truck. Change lanes. Learn something. And move through it. Don't hang out there. Don't hang out there any longer than you have to. And know that it's a passageway. Come and it is not the entirety of the story. Philippians 1.6 Each of you who are being baptized today will receive a Bible with a note for me in it. The kids being baptized receive a note from Pastor Liz. But most of them... We'll have one of a couple of verses, and one of my favorites to write is Philippians 1.6. We can be sure of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Today, some of you will begin a new day. It marks a new stage. It marks a new work. It marks this step of obedience. And the one who is beginning this work in you will can bring it to completion. Baptism is not something you do. It's something that the church does to you at the command of Jesus. And it marks us. It's a sign and symbol of death and resurrection. A sign and symbol of new life, of new beginning, of new start. And we believe that as we start on this journey, and whether we've started years or decades ago, that our faith is in the one who is the author and perfecter of that faith, that our conviction is laying everything on this truth, that he who begins a good work in you, he who begins to work in you, he who tattooed your soul from the moment you were created can bring that work to completion if you let him. You can spend your whole life fighting against what he's doing. You can spend your whole life trying to cover up those marks, cover up those tattoos to try to say, I'm not you didn't create me. I have done this. You didn't form me. I have had to do this all on my own. Where are you when I needed you? You didn't rescue me. You can, you can deny all of the ways that he has been working in your life and try to hide that or cover it up. You can say, no, look, God, I have done too much. There's no way that I'm really yours anymore. 
I've made, I've been too bad, I've done too much, too much has happened to me. God, I, I can't be yours anymore. Do you know all that's happened to me? And we try to cover it up. We try to pretend like he's not really been with us. Well, I didn't see you, God. I didn't feel you, God. So you must not have been there. As if somehow your ability him determines whether it's real or not. That is a, a, just a little side note. Your ability to sense him does not determine his existence. Your, his existence is not dependent on your ability to know him or think him or imagine him or experience him. He is real and at work and present and with you. And the question is, will you open your heart to begin to see him and have faith to believe And what he said is true even when you can't. Because I've found that one of the ways that he likes to present himself is in the feelings of absence. And no, that makes no sense. Until you've walked through it. A season when he felt like he wasn't there and you look back and you realize, I think he may have been closer to me than any other time in my life. Sometimes his presence is in absence or in a sense of absence. It's what Jesus felt on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? And maybe that's what you feel today. Feel like he's talking about this God who says I'll be with you in the fire and flood. But I'm in the middle of that fire and flood and he's forsaken me. Do what Jesus did. Go right into it. Go right into it. Go right into the fires of hell and the floods. Go. You'll find him there. You'll find him there in the depths of your pain, in the depths of your doubt, in the depths of your question, in the depths of your disappointment. That's where you'll find him. That's where he'll shape your heart and transform you in ways that you could never imagine. That's why, in so many ways, at, the, at that last meal with his disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you and my blood spilled for, spilled for you. Whenever you get together, have a meal. Eat this meal and remember. And remember me. Remember that, that I met you in brokenness and bleeding. That I met you in burning. I met you when you felt like you were burning. And I have never left you. Always be with you through every flood and every fire that you face. You can trust me. You can trust me. And like Palm Sunday, when half the crowd missed the parade, because they didn't understand what he was doing, there'll be times when you have no clue what he's doing. And usually it's the painful times. But trust, he knows what he's doing. Trust, he'll bring to completion what he started. Trust. See, they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That word means save us now. Save us right now. God, we've had enough. Jesus, we've had enough. Save us right now. Save us now. Get us out of here. And Jesus goes to the temple. It's like, give me a week. And they're still saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, like right now. He's like, give me a week. Give me a week and everything will start to change. Just give me a week. And maybe right now you're in it. And he's like, just give me a week. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm with you. Don't ever forget the mark 
that has been placed deeply within your soul, tattooed on your very being as a part of who we are. You're his, and he will be with you. We come to this time where we remember. We take this physical act of choosing to embrace the truth by coming to the table and breaking a piece of bread, and we dip it in the cup and we eat it. We hear the words, the body broken for you and the blood spilt for you. They remind us whose we are. They remind us who we are. They remind us of his promise. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And to receive is just to receive that promise. To receive that grace. And choose to believe it. Believe it enough to act on it. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, you're invited to come. Any who would like to, any who would say, I want that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what all it means, but I want Jesus. I want to be close to him. I want to know him. I want to know he's with me. And I, and I want the, the faith to believe it when I can't see it or feel it or sense it. Then you're invited to his table. You're invited to receive. It is our covenant with him, our agreement. His, I will be with you, and ours, I'll do my best to follow you. So after I pray, you're invited, you can come to the center aisle, come up, and on either side, break a piece of bread, dip the cup, and eat it, and then you can return to your seats, and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And some of us are in the middle of a pretty deep flood and some raging fires. And we don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what you're going to do. We don't know how it's going to work out. And we're struggling to believe that you're with us. Because it sure does feel like you're somewhere else. That you've forsaken us. But we lean in. And we choose today to believe what you've said is true. That you will be with us. That you will be with us. That you will be with us. We are yours. And you will always be with us. Mark those deeply on our minds and hearts as we receive of this bread and cup that just remind us of all that you have given for us. All that you have been through and that you know every trial we face and have persevered. And we can persevere too. In Jesus' name, amen.